Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the second time it's gone off. There's never been any doubt that hurling is the greatest sport that was ever played by any man, in the words of Anthony Daly. The greatest sport that was ever played by any man. <laughs> it comes, it's better sounding. Coming it is. And also it? there's yeah. the little break in the voice yeah. when he's overtaken by the emotion of it all. That's, and yesterday that's at Croke Park, we saw further evidence of that as Aina Burke produced a moment of genius to win the All-Ireland title for his club, St. Thomas's, after a thunderous encounter with O'Loughlin Gales. But if you thought the much maligned sport of Gaelic football was going to stand back and accept all Zoran status, you had another thing coming. Connor Glass, the hero for Glen, as they broke the hearts of a gallant young St. Bridges team from Roscommon. What a day in the wind and the rain at Croke Park. Hey, Murphy, Ken. Hey, Owen, how's it going? Oh, and how are you? I was actually a bit annoyed with how good the football final was. Why? I had him a tepid take ready to go. Oh. Uh, First one in a well, while. I mean. Now we talk about what I want to talk about. Let's go, champ! Let's go, champ! Let's go, champ! <laughs> this is the most tepid McDevitt take. Yeah! It's the champ! <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a McTeppin take. So, I mean... It survives. It, I mean, surely something that weakens the argument is actually just makes it a bit more tepid. But Yeah, possibly. My take was going to be that hurling is an even better sport in the rain than it is in dry conditions, whereas Gaelic football is generally worse. Uh, I was waiting for a dour football final to really reinforce the view. But yeah. listen, I'll stick to no, the first the Mc, half. Yeah, of the, the, okay, take yeah. Is, the first half of it is still a McTeppet take. My, te- my, my, my Teppet take, it's being watered down further, which, as you say, Murph, is in the spirit of the of whole thing. Me, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, tepidness. Is, my theory is, Murph, hurling is often trumpeted as the fastest field sport in the world. Yeah. And, that and that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that maybe is bad. It's too fast. No, I mean... Bang, bang, bang. 70-yard point here, 80-yard, you, you blink. There's a, the replay, you're still seeing a replay of the previous point when the ball's already been worked up to the half-forward line. It's gone back over to party. You've actually missed it. It's, oh, it's oh, all happening too fast. I couldn't fast. agree with you more. It needs to be slowed down. More yeah. rooks, more chaos. More lads throwing each other's hurdies away as we saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that was, happens more than once. There was just, a bit of that going on. Opponents just taking hurls and fucking them away yeah, over yeah. the sideline. It's like, well, I'll grab yours then. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is bonkers. Three 
frills, spills. Even injury time. I can't remember, was it level at this stage or Thomas is a point up? At one stage, their full backs were trying to clear their lines, right? Mm. Nothing too fast. They're just trying to get the ball out of there. But they were being rugby tackled to the ground repeatedly. And the ref at this stage was kind of thinking, it's got to be more than that to give let it, it flow. Let it flow a little bit. Yeah. All of which is less liable to happen when it's a nice, firm track. So you're, this is a flaming hot take, actually, Murph. It is. It's a, it's a roaringly hot take. Excellent. Um, I'm, I'm actually having to edge away from you here in studio. But how, could you, how could this be done in practice? Heavier balls. Bigger, bigger balls. Bigger, no, not bigger, just heavier. So this Point has been uh, up for debate for a number of years. But as a heavier ball, I mean, does that introduce element of danger? Nah, it's hurt. It's hurling. Ken. Yeah, but I mean, what if he got smacked? The in ball the would be a blessed body. relief from getting a hurl you upside the head. You know, so don't worry about it, Ken. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be worried about the safety element at all. A blatant disregard for player safety has served us well in the past. I'm sure that it'll continue to serve us well into the. Next 140 years is, of their wonderful. I think this is unsafe, and I, I instead of I take your heavier balls, I delete your suggestion and I replace it with larger balls. Larger balls, no. Same larger weight. balls, same weight. No, no. Oh. You know, you need to, you need to put a like premium. A big on, softball on. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you need a, you need to put a. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> you need to put a premium on ball striking. What about you only play in wet conditions? Yeah. Not well, that hard, really, to pull off at the moment. Yeah, it was, in yeah, this country. It was, it was sunned off. Uh, game game cancelled. <laughs> the weather um, was too nice. People refunded. So, yeah, it's been sunned off. So and everyone agrees. They walk away going, "We wouldn't yeah, have had no, a great no, spectacle out no, there in that gorgeous weather." No, no, it'd be. It would have just been a horrific mess. Just German birds catching a, a short puck out, turning, putting the ball over. German the bar. birds is the problem with hurling today. That's who I was thinking of. Well, you know, stop hitting points over from eighty yards. Yeah, now there were annoying. one or two of them. At one stage, the you're annoying, Dermot. Was it the Thomas's goalkeeper hit an absolute bomb from yeah. his own goal line? It, it appeared. There, I was trying to look at it at the replay. Where was that from? Because I wasn't even waiting for a shot. Mm. And suddenly knocks it over, and then runs back a little bit of the old Davy Fitz style, kind of yeah, intense yeah. celebration, running back to the line. Oh, the moments. This is the thing about bad weather hurling the moments of quality still shine through these these stickmen they're oh, skillful beasts so they even more so on a bad day none more so than chief stickman Aina Burke and his match winning point from out in the Pointing. left touchline Aina Burke give it the all as he fought again Aina Burke killing Gary Aina Burke oh stop Inanim Jehan Congo Shin cooling is how you come and in Anam Day. McDowell McDonough doing the job there. God, I love McDowell McDonough so much. On TG Car, yeah. How would you describe that? I don't know. Okay, I've tried on. What, what, you did, what does he said, do? Ask me to describe Ada Burke's point, and I was like, it's indescribable. And you said, that doesn't make for very good podcasting. That's a fair criticism, on. Mm-hmm. So, he picks up the ball in the middle of a rook with like three defenders off to his right, and his body shape is pointing out towards, you know, the crappy bit of terrace where the Nally stand used to be. Mm-hmm. So that's where his, his, like, his body and his head are facing. He swivels 180 degrees to get the ball under control, and then it's another 180 degrees as he's taking the shot. But his body and his eyes are still pointed over towards the crappy bit of terrace that used to be the Nally stand on the 21-yard line in a store, in a literal store. So hanging. He's done two swivels here. Uh, spare yeah. me all these compared First numbers. First 180. You, you he, he spins halfway around. Yeah, spins halfway yeah. around to get the ball into his hand, into his paw, I should say. Into Sorry, his paw. Into yeah. his paw. Sorry. He swivels, swivels 180 uh, uh, degrees to get into his paw. 
and then another 180 degrees, but he's hitting the point as he's doing the second 180 so that his body ends up at the moment of contact aimed over at that crappy bit of terrace that used to be the nice stand and the ball flies over in the middle of a freak weather event <laughs> <laughs> to win an All-Ireland club, to- uh, club final. That's, That's a pretty good score, on Among the best that I've ever seen. Not the best piece of skill on the day, though. That honour was reserved, again, for the Gaelic football. Much maligned sport of Gaelic ah, football, Murph. Connor Glass and I'm not talking about his it's goal it's turning blood I'm so not t- in I'm 2024 not, I'm not talking about Connor Glass's goal which was excellent or even some of his high fielding which was yep. exemplary as always I'm talking about that late fit. so the ball wasn't long after his goal if I recall correctly the ball is kicked out he is steaming into it leaps high in the air Aussie rules style having played Aussie rules mm-hmm. And eschews the option of catching the ball. Everyone goes on about how amazing it is when somebody catches the ball high. It's also quite exciting when somebody just fists it down yeah. directly to a teammate and then sets up a score to win you the All-Ireland. Yeah, and that was kind of the turning point because uh, Emmett Bradley had hit a free to put them one up and Bridget had a kick out. And that was the moment if Bridget had anything in their locker, some manner of uh, short kick out, Bridget would have drop back into position they would have got a chance I think to uh, have equalised the game they may have won an easy free mm. this is the sort of thing that happens in the last minute of our All-Ireland Club Finals um, the keeper decided to kick it in the general vicinity of Connor Glass I believe that to have been an error <laughs> I believe that to have been a definite error um, and then so but from that ridiculous leap and break they got a second point and kind of from then I mean Burgess to be fair got the free and then got another free 45 yards out I mean it was one of these situations where the commentator is saying well you know it's the right thing to do there you know 45 yards out just drag a fella down it's, it's an unsatisfactory way to finish an iron final I mean he's obviously doing the right thing by his team and you know You'd be hoping someone on your team would do it if you were uh, a Bridget supporter or a supporter of any other team. Yeah. But it's still, you know, and then for um, Canaan to miss uh, as narrowly, narrowly as he did with the with the, the final kick of the game. That's obviously a horrendous way to... Club football as well. Club, club football, uh, club GA generally, it's only an hour. It's a good length of time. It's a good duration for a sporting event, i got to say. <laughs> I think maybe the inter-county scene needs to shave 10 minutes off. It all just gets a bit... Bit too ragged over just 70 minutes. Jeremy Burns hitting points the whole time and Gaelic football wing backs running from one side of the field to the other, hand passing. So the ball we're suggesting goal. changes here. I like it. Okay, so only play hurling on dry days and all no, only play hurling on wet is days. only an hour on wet days. I should say, of 40, course, 40 mile an hour win minimum, possibly yeah. bigger, possibly <laughs> bigger balls, possibly heavier balls. And yeah, 60 minutes max. All the problems of the game we had in one afternoon. The Irish examiner's Morris Brosnan is on the way. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Andrew Clancy is real scum, this guy. Professor professor of architecture, Kingston School of Art, London. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the, the professor is on again, is he? <laughs> so, Professor Clancy emails. Loved Ken's recounting of the story of the Moscow Cathedral on Friday, but the story is even more interesting. So this is in relation, we were talking about Porky Cueve and Super Value and, 
arguing about well Ken argued that we should turn the Aviva back into the old Lansdowne yeah. Road and Porky Cueve back into old Porky Cueve <laughs> like the Soviets did with the Cathedral of Christ the Saviour in Moscow that was a hell of a show Friday <laughs> no it was, it was real Friday Friday stuff after the Russian Revolution the Communist government demolished the Cathedral and replaced it with an enormous swimming pool decades later it was in the last 30 years or so maybe rebuilt as a cathedral so it's gone back to its original state but here goes our the prof. friend the prof yeah the prof says yes the cathedral was demolished in 1931 as Ken described but it was removed to make space for the palace of the Soviets a building that if constructed would have housed the entire governing apparatus of the Soviet state I should actually email this on to you as I speak Ken because there's a visual to go with it so here you go send on to Ken Thanks, the email Eric. continues this building would have been at the time so this is what was supposed to be built at the time, the largest enclosed space and the tallest building in the world. See the drawing for scale. Reputedly, Lenin's finger would have rested on the tip of the Empire State Building. The vast assembly hall at its base was itself 100 metres tall and would have held 20,000 delegates. Construction yeah. started in 1938 and continued until the Germans crossed the border. In 1941, its steel superstructure was cannibalised for use in the war. The foundations were left abandoned, a vast scar in the centre of Moscow, until 1958, when the municipal architect converted it into, into the world's largest swimming pool. Far more than a leisure centre, this was more of a public park that happened to be a pool. In some ways, the hubristic overreaching of the Stalinist Tower speaks of the failures of the Soviet state, while the pool talks, accidentally maybe, about the possibilities of socialism that lay at the heart of the whole misguided project. The pool grew dilapidated and as Ken says, by the late 1980s, the decision was taken to recreate the cathedral. But perhaps its simplistic harping back to the simpler glories of the Tsarist time was an indication of what was to follow. Yeah. Yeah, so the Palace of the Soviets, a building that if considered would have housed the entire governing apparatus of the Soviet state, was supposed to be built in there, Ken. I really wish this thing had been built. Just looking at it. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it, but I'm just looking at this picture and... Um I think it's a real shame this thing didn't didn't this thing didn't ever fly. Um, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's incredible. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, the base of it is massive and looks like I don't know. It's it's so weird. It could almost be a suburban Dublin church from the um, sort of nineteen seventies, uh, but it kind of. It, it sort of uh, narrows and, and uh, rises up into a skyscraper at the top of which is literally a King Kong sized Lenin <laughs> 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 pointing his finger apparently this would have been as tall as the Empire State Building you would have been able to see this Lenin from pretty much anywhere uh, around for miles Owen didn't forward the email to me but I have found this image and it does look good to be what fair. a shame they didn't finish this yeah, it is it's a pity totally insane building <laughs> Sent on there, Timmy. Ah, too late. Though. They should have put that up when the when the swimming pool uh, was decommissioned. And put like who Yeltsin on top. Well, not Lenin. I mean, you, there's still loads of Lenins. I think they're putting them back up actually. Yeah. These days, it would it would have been a bit <laughs> weird though in 1992. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is. Listen, we're going to throw it up anyway. Okay. Uh, well, nicely done. Thank you to the prof for your email, sir. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Sport is a great thing, Parry County, especially hurling. Our sport, the greatest sport that was ever played by any man. They're getting their award today, mixed with this brilliant blend of youth, fire, and enthusiasm, and so thrill for them. Clareman, rivals of ours all our lives. But you know, the Cranberries go up around Crow Park. Dolores wanted their own Parry, magic, magic moment for them. Well, it's a highly emotional. Oh no, my stomach is burning here, lads, I tell you. We've been so... We've oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Who's going to win it, guys? Limerick. Excuse me? Dowling! Who on your fire? He didn't go to blow the onion bag off the back of the net. He went to place it to the corner. Limerick are on the brink of a historic breakthrough at Croke Park. Limerick better wake up here because Galway are back in the game big time. Proofed into the top of the net. Is there any into the drama? Is there any into the drama? Parry? And Galway are within one of Limerick. It's hard to watch. Oh man, I don't know what to say here. Could he possibly, could he possibly, from two, three metres outside his own 45, the greatest sport that was ever played by any man. That's a massive ass. If you wanted one man in the history of Hurland to hit it for you, you might want it to be Joe Kenning. I think the long wait is over. How long is it against the wait? <laughs> well, since 2007. Well, 1973 is the last time they won. Oh. Limerick have it! Limerick are coming away with it! Yeah! Oh, yes, if the rest of the world only knew about this sport, this is incredible. Limerick have beaten Galway in 1973. Unreal drama. I love the All-Ireland Club Finals with all my heart, tweeted the Irish Examiner's Morris Brosnan yesterday. A fun day at Croke Park, Morris. Amazing day. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, it's kind of funny. In my relatively short career, whatever reason, the All-Ireland Club Finals has just been been incredible. The, we actually did an exercise at the start of the year for the Examiner where we depict the, the 24 sporting events to look forward to for 2024. Mm. And I uh, I tried to make the case uh, internally in, in the office that I fully believe you could argue that the club finals are a better day, you better bang for your buck than even from a, when you compare it to what we get from an inter-county uh, final day. And it's a relatively small sample size. We're going back five years here. But if you go from 2019 in when you had the, the incredible drama with Carl Finn and Kilku that day, Kilku coming back a year later in extra time, the rigmarole around what went on last year with mm-hmm. the Kim McCudd game. And then this in a hurling, you've got everything from High Ruddle's incredible goal for Bally Gunner to... Sheffern bringing Ballyhale into against Barca Lee that time the year before COVID. There's, just a, there's always, I'm not necessarily talking about quality. And to be honest, I think actually both winners, yes, they would admit they were much, their performances were a lot better in the semi final. But just the drama of it, the sheer entertainment, the absolute, at times, lunacy of it all is, it's hard to get away from it. It's just such a, just an incredible day. It, again, one of those days where it's a real privilege to be there in a, in a working capacity, obviously. But I, yeah, uh, I, I only echo those sentiments. I, t- I tweeted that in kind of a, yeah. a haze yesterday in Cork Park, but I, I feel the same way today. Pin your colours to the mass then. Which was the better story, the football or the hurling? 
Johanna was lunacy, wasn't it? It was just, it was insane. Like, I mean, nothing, again, just everything that went on around it and for good or for better and for worse, I suppose, when I'm sure we'll talk about some of the controversies around the refereeing, which I did not necessarily want to get into. But even just from a story perspective, I don't think either of these clubs would have been earmarked to get to this stage. We probably were there. Maybe there was a slight fear on what I would say in the club game that uh, these urban super clubs were coming and the uh, days of a rural club getting to Crow Park and uh, maybe they were going to be behind us and, mm. and it, there was probably an element that that would in definitely I know I spent a lot of time with St Thomas's last week and there is an element where they anybody who meet in the club will tell you we know these days won't last but there is that lovely narrative arc which we love to cling on to around the club championships and there's this game itself which was just absolutely bonkers from one of the best clutch winners that I've probably ever seen in person to some kind of crazy decisions to what went on with the referee with the goal everything in that game was just insane you've got incredible individual stories like David Burke and what he's been through over the last 12 months it, it kind of was the final with everything for, for better and for worse Okay you said one of the best winnings I mean I would challenge you to tell me the, uh, a winning point that was better than the point that Ada Burke scored uh, in the last minute of this game it was genuinely daft like daft for him to go for it uh, daft bit of skill to get the ball into his hand in the first place and then to swivel for the second time in you know like a three yard uh, window of space and and put it over I mean I can't get away from the fact that I so I watch this, these games on television and I was watching them while looking out the window at like a proper legit storm happening in Dublin at the exact moment that this ball was going over the bar like it is ridiculous This the point that won this game for Thomas's. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly Murph but I tell you who disagrees with us both and that's Aina because <laughs> <laughs> talking to him after the game he was so keen to downplay the fact that it was he was really keen to point out it was actually level at the time so even if it went wide they probably weren't going to get another shot it was particularly as a free hit he actually claimed that the wind was, was pulling it in the way it was going so that that was a factor in his head all of that is is kind of classic downplaying it was absolutely phenomenal just, just sheer he kind of has he, he has an uncanny ability to hit not quite points like that, obviously, but definitely from watching the club championships over the last couple of years, he does this kind of a low swivel. He's kind of swinging from his waist that he's got a really uncanny ability to get strikes off. He actually scored a point very like that kind of on his opposite side earlier in the game. But then, yeah, as you say, the, the manner of the, the sheer carnage that came just before that, the, the, his ability to pull it off, it was generally kind of mind-melting when I, you saw, saw it in person. And I, I probably thought it was it's kind of demonstrative of a lot of what St. Thomas's were about, just in terms of their, their you know, they, they refer to it as doggedness, but they just don't go away. They're just such an uncanny ability. There are a lot of clubs kind of bemoan them in Galway because you, they're just never beaten till they're beat. And the, the, it was, yeah, it was an ultimate clutch point. Mm-hmm. It, I, I also do think though there probably was an element, uh, I can see where he's coming from in that, uh, it, as winners go, it was always the best, but it was a, to try that when they're down. You're down, obviously you're, you're feeling that if they're losing, does he try that point? It was, it was kind of that element of it, but yeah, I mean, you, you would take nothing away from it. It was, oh, it was just an amazing point. It, it kind of hard one to even articulate. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just you know, it, it, it's just uh, it was just such a, a moment of madness. But I mean, you know, we are in the era of process in hurling. You know, <laughs> uh, and there wasn't a lot of process. <laughs> <laughs> on Joe yesterday and I think that's why people enjoyed the game so much you know um, because Thomas's had been really poor in the first half they'd really I thought they they were kind of playing within themselves playing the occasion nearly and they'd been second to everything they'd been a little indecisive they'd been making a hero out of Hugh Lawler who doesn't need any help in that area and then 
David Burke just storms into the game. Like, he was just absolutely incredible. And as you say, like, club final day is often as much or more about sort of the narrative than they are about the what happens on the field. Yesterday was a lovely day in that both the games were legitimately good as well as having loads of narrative to them. But... Like one of the key narratives going through the years of of the club championship is the intercounty man whose best days are behind him at that level, maybe absolutely pulling something out of the bag for their club, and that was David Burke yesterday. It was, and uh, I'm kind of glad you said that because there, there there's obviously going to be a huge amount of and there has been a huge amount of conversation about this frankly ridiculous comeback from the the ACL injury that he suffered uh, in March of last year. But there, there's kind of a broader thing about. David Burke's career, which I think is kind of remarkable, and he, he probably is the, you know, he, I think he won three All Stars in a row in midfield between 2015 and 2017. He obviously won before that as a as a corner forward as well. He probably is one of the great modern midfielders that we've ever seen. He's a lock in a, a 21st century team of the year and all that kind of thing. But there's there's beyond that. I, so last Friday I was out in St Thomas's the, the hurling club and I met his brother is the chairperson of St Thomas's and he's telling me a story that when he was 21 he had to play for St Thomas's and in an under 21 game against Castlegar out in Athenry and he, he would admit himself he probably wasn't a great hurler but in small clubs like that you just have to field you have to get numbers and another consequence of that in rural clubs is that everybody who's eligible plays so if you're in an under 21 game you go right down to 16 or 17 year olds and surprisingly they were hanging around like a small club playing against a pretty big club they were hanging around this game until maybe 20 minutes left a 16-year-old David Burke gets a knock on the knee and he has to come off. And Todd, this, you know, I'm quoting him directly here, he said, talk about a house of cards collapsing. Everything just, just went away. And th- I was thinking about that and it was kind of a nice story and a demonstrative of how important he was to Thomas's. But there's a broader point there in that that's a, that's a great thing. It's also a, a dangerous thing because from the moment this guy appears in a club like this, all hopes are pinned to him. And you know he is going to be the decisive factor basically every single day you go out from there so they go on to win a couple of 121 titles their first ever senior title is 2012 unsurprising that's four years after that that story when he was a 16 year old and David Burke said after the game yesterday uh, kind of an interesting thing where he said you know, maybe he hasn't uh, done himself credit on stages before and that was in the back of his mind yesterday and in one sense that's a very harsh thing to say when you consider some of his performances or some of the semi-finals losses they've suffered before but in another sense, that's the reality for a club like St. Thomas's. They need, David Burke needs to be effectively at a man of the match level every single day if they're going to have the success that they've had. Like he needs to hit that bar consistently. And he did it yesterday off the back of a, a frankly ridiculous comeback that, you know, he suffers a ACL. Even just his, the, the injury is that, so physically, that is obviously a big factor for him. But psychologically, if you consider the years he's had before that, does it all this talk, Gully Window or Ireland, he gets to bring a trophy back to St. Thomas's. I think that was a big thing for him, especially given the, what he would have been criticised previously. He, there was a homecoming in a year previous, actually. They won a 1B title. I don't know if you remember that, Murph. And they brought a, a, a small little thing, like an impromptu gathering back at St. Thomas's. But that was, there was a lot of discourse about that, where Galway letting the hype get away from him. And he kind of became the figure of that. And I'd say that was maybe a chip in the shoulder, certainly when they went on to, to win the All-Ireland a year later. And then suddenly there's this talk of a need for transition and Shane O'Neill comes in as a manager. And I think in 2021, David Burke was effective transition out of the team I think he made one championship appearance he came off the bench that year and comes back in Sheffield and to my mind probably should have got an All-Star in 2022 his performance against Limerick in that losing semi-final was absolutely incredible so he's gone back to the mountain he's, he's come back comes back a year later and does his ACL and you're t- I definitely I know he, and he said anybody he run into was kind of had assumed immediately he'd retired and that's 
that's March. So you think about the, all the psychological baggage that comes with that and the programme he did with Bernardi at the time where he referenced that one of the big driving factors for him was wanting to, you know, he's sitting down in Cotton Moore in front of the doctors in, in the office and you just after hearing that, uh, I don't know if, if anybody knows this, there was a, a programme, My Body Fix, that Bernardi programme did on his recovery process. So it was a pretty cool insight. You actually got to see inside his knee, did a small camera, that you heard the the shaving sounds, the company surgery, saw the prehab, all the rehab, his comeback story. But in, he's sitting in front of the doctor, he's just had surgery, and he says, immediately sets a target, I'd love to get back for the latter stages of the club championship, which is, we're talking six months later, and he comes back off the bench in a semi-final for St. Thomas's, comes on in the final against Herlock Moore when the game's still in the melting pot. So you consider all of that, and for him, to, on top of that, to be you know 34 and do what he did in Corpac yesterday, it is just, a, again, another story that's hard to necessarily grasp the, the various strands of it, both the physical thing, but also the psychological baggage of all that to come back and to, to win his alarm yesterday and deliver for his brother who would have been played with them in 2012 and is now their manager. It's it's just frankly ridiculous. The, what they have done for that club and also the influence he's had for Galway is, again, is another thing that is very difficult to articulate. There was some controversy though, as you alluded to. Um, can you answer me the question as to why the GA has Hawkeye technology to decide whether or not a point has gone over, but they do not have technology. They don't use the Hawkeye technology that could tell them whether or not a goal has gone over the line. There's a macro thing here and there's a micro thing here. So on this specific incident, there, uh, this came up, I remember with the, was a Waterford tip under Derek McGrath. And I don't know if you remember that the ball was caught behind the line. It actually was a, it was a in-for sports wide picture that had the conclusive yes. proof that the ball had passed the, the line that, and apparently the Hawkeye technology isn't actually, it's not specific. It's what it's doing is with their various angles, it's recreating the trajectory of the ball. That's how they design it. So it's not the exact, exact, what you're seeing on the screen isn't the exact direction that the ball went. That's a, a, a technical recreation. So for them to do it, in this broader sense, they didn't have to have a chip in the ball, which is something they're starting to develop, but the technology for that doesn't exist at this stage. There probably was an element where, just on a, on a basic level, you could use, uh, I don't know if you want to get into that, the whole VAR stuff, or was the umpire's positioning, he was I mean, he was completely behind the post, because I suppose he was, at the time he was expecting a point. And so that's the that's the micro issue, and there's a load of stuff within that. On, and, and there was a load of weird incidents in this game, like the, I thought the red card was pretty harsh or at least if that was a red card there was certainly a couple of incidents earlier that could have been looked at it was that bizarre instance where a player was pushed over advertising hurling behind the goals and there seems to be no action taken and actually encouraging the game to restart which I thought was weird so that's the the micro stuff within this but there's also there's a there's a macro thing here that uh, I hope doesn't go underappreciated maybe this week in the, and I'm sure there will be a conversation about the need for goal line technology or a video system maybe if it's specifically for goal stuff but you know the Brandon Roney wrote a, a piece in The Guardian years ago. It was a proposal, more so than a column, about why we all need to stop talking about referees in the Premier League, because not just because it's kind of repetitive and a tedious conversation, but that all this kind of intense fo- uh, focus it might actually do more harm than good. And I think there probably is an element of that in officiating. That was, you'd be unsurprised to hear that proposal did not take off. Mm. Um, and then, but um, beyond that, there is probably there's, there's a macro thing here within officially in referee and definitely not that instance now in particular but a lot of other instances in that game where it's very hard to be critical of the red the shoulders of the head or the red card stuff because of the nature of hurling because of the, how mad and chaotic a game it is you know there's a, if, if I'm regurgitating something you've brought up on the show before I, I don't know if I heard this here but the economist wrote a piece a couple of years ago about road walking 
And uh, if you bear with me here for a second, it was, the idea was that, you know, we, it's 2024 now. We live in an era where technology should exist, where you could have sensors in shoes. You could have get away from this judging system where you're just watching Pacific athletes and uh, or you could have you know, uh, you could have video technology. And that's how you could police road walking. And then they did a study. What exactly how many what impact would it have? How much has been missed? How much illegal maneuvering is going on in the sport? And they found there was something like 57%. Like it would, the whole sport would collapse. You'd be thrown out half the fields if they were to buy into that. And I think Herning has a similar issue that if you were really to drill down and you want them to police the rules as they exist in the rule book, it's just become a free fest. Like the whole thing would. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to please as much as you can around headshots, though. I think that's a good start. I think I think handing out red cards for the type of incident we saw that was given a red card was fair enough. I just think maybe there could have been could have been more than just one player, as you allude to, that could have gone. Yeah, and, and there's probably a, a fair argument in that. But even in that, own like there, there, there is definitely an element where that. You know, I think there, there, there's an element, and you have to be very careful there because there is obviously such a huge uh, focus on the need to be police headshots specifically. But then there's a broader point where, which is that I think in certain cases we saw maybe instances where there was collision with the heads yesterday and they were made kind of a meal of. And is that kind of leaning into, or is that training, or was it even contact in the first place? And is that then directing the uh, referees uh, proposing it? You do want them to, you know, lay down the law and police it as best they can. But at the same time, I, I would have a lot of sympathy for Sean Stack, particularly yesterday, when in the context of the, the environment that currently exists for referees, there was you know, reports within our own paper last week about the, the extent of referees who failed fitness tests. All that, whereas in you have a, a chaotic game. Like, and that is the... I'm, I'm trying to make the case here from a racist value. It was just complete and utter chaos. So for him to police every single one of those is a very, very difficult thing to do. And ultimately, you're trying to trying to fall down, get more of them right than you did wrong. And by and large, I think most referees are actually doing that. So I, it, it's not necessarily... I agree with you that, I mean, on the red card instance itself, I absolutely agree with you that you need to come down hard and then specifically. But more broader than that, I do think it is... You cannot get away from the reality, which is that hurling is a near impossible game to officiate and you just have to cut there is has to be a bit more leeway in we're going to get mistakes maybe some i'm talking beyond the goal line specific thing here maybe some of those mistakes will be highlighted over the next couple of days i don't know but definitely the conditions are such that you, you really you have to trust them to do their best and if you want to give them additional help i'm presuming that conversation will come later the football final was mercifully free of major controversy uh, this time anyway and Glenn got there in the end thanks largely to Connor Glass that was a bit of a tour de force particularly in the closing stages when you're, when you're wanting a player like that to step up uh, he was just colossal like, he really just kind of turned into the game when they needed him most and uh, going back to Merce's point earlier about St. maybe St. Thomas is playing the occasion I definitely thought that was an issue for Glenn in the opening periods of this game just just bizarre stuff that they wouldn't have become done accustomed to in the past, um, kicking balls out over the line. They would have always struck you as a very kind of focused and disciplined team. And they were doing some odd stuff. Even Conor Glass himself, they, there was an instance in the first half where Bridges were awarded the sideline, the ball comes back onto the pitch. He runs over, mocks to kick it back and then dummies the ball. And I just thought that was kind of needless and silly. And it ended up getting, being brought in 15 metres by referee Brendan Colley and Ben O'Carroll kicked it anyway. Um, and then, as you say, just when it feels like everything has gone on, the train is completely coming off the tracks. They've, I think in that period there, they'd have 11 shots and didn't score with any of them. It, was, it really felt like uh, a bizarre spell for them. And they were so dominant. It's just the other thing. They completely got on top of the kick out. They had so much possession. They were doing 90% of the work right. And it starts with Michael Warnock actually coming up and kicking a, a great point. And then the goal itself was 
just just brilliant. And that was a that was a lesson for me from a game perspective yesterday. It wasn't necessarily and in the context of maybe modern Gaelic football, it wasn't the pursuit of perfection as much as it was just progression. Just keep working on just small stuff and eventually you'll amass enough of it that it'll come down on your side. He he embodied that. He's a he's a great story himself. I can remember in twenty twenty, early twenty twenty, uh, I met him in Melbourne and he was talking about, and the writing might have been slightly on the wall that he wasn't going to get another contract and he might have to, to, to be going home. But he referenced specifically at the time, Chrissy McCoy, who would have been his now Derry teammate, but would have spent some time with the Sydney Swans. Uh, and But it, the context he was referencing that was all the stuff he brought back and the impact Neil, he'd had in Neil once he came back, the success they had. And he's he's the example now. He has had the same transformative impacts with Glenn. You look at, and you could argue with the same thing with Derry. So... He, that in itself was kind of emblematic of I, I think a broader thing about the impact he's had since he came home What do you think displays like this in All-Ireland Finals do for players' reputations? Uh, in, one, in one way it's what people like Conor Glass have to do for their club you know he's like an all-star he's a brilliant player but in another way I always feel like Jeremy Connolly's display in the club final for Vincent's against Castlebar in 2014 elevated him above a lot of his Dublin teammates who played better for a lot longer in their county jersey. Mm. But like there was like a, the legend of Jeremy Connolly was kind of burnished that day in a way that maybe a lot of his other teammates didn't have the opportunity to do. And it matters in the final analysis of these players and their careers. Yeah, it does. And this is a really interesting conversation, especially in the context of Connor Glass, because there there's definitely an element where you're going to fashion your legacy here, so to call it, by what happened after the game. But at the same time, like if you if you drew down on Conor Glass's performance, let's say yesterday, for example, Murph, like it wasn't. I, this isn't me calling out anybody here, but I, I was listening to something this morning and I heard someone describe him as, as flawless, and that was it was the opposite of of that. It was errorstream. You know, he um, John Cunningham came on uh, midway through the second half and Conor Glass ran directly at him was turned over the top of the D and then kind of pulled on the ball uh, along the ground lost it he actually was beaten for that final kick up by Roy Fallon when he went up in the air uh, the free okay that was maybe 50 feet I don't think that was a free that got pulled back to one but the broader point is that even in the face of that and he he's actually said post-match that he thought it was they were dead or buried so that doubt was had crystallised in his mind through that kind of final quarter spell and going back to your idea of the legacy, what's so much more impressive to me is that in the face of all of that, he persevered. Like even if he thought the fight was lost, he kept fighting on. That he was so willing to to try and just do as much as he possibly could to even come close and manufacture those chances. And I, to go back to your point, you don't want to get into maybe the the scoreboard journalism element of all of this side of stuff, but it does matter. Like it, it definitely does matter to the players. They would talk about how much. This this destination was the goal, and therefore we realise that w- w- him having attained that that is a huge factor in his in his legacy. That it, it is going to feed into that. So, long story short, I think yeah, I, it, there is kind of a, there's an element of unfairness when you consider your Jeremy Connolly example there as well. But at the same time, from Conor Glass's perspective, this is exactly why he wanted to come. This is where he wanted to, to get to all the time, and that that dictates basically everything that follows after there. Yeah, and you know, like only one team can win the All Ireland Inter County uh, uh, final every year, uh, and so you know, there's there's only a set amount of legends that can be made, you know. And we've we've lived through a, a, a decade or more where it's one team more often than not doing all the winning. So 
moments like this do matter for players like uh, Connor Glass. But you look at Bridget on the other side, and they will be absolutely sick because. You know, this is a game that they had in the palm of their hands. Four points up, five minutes to go. I actually thought that they're an exceptionally athletic team. And we've heard even Curfin players come out and say it since that, you know, they were shocked by how good uh, just the aerobic ability of Bridges when they beat them in the college final. Um, they played the game at a ridiculous pace. Everyone loved their angles of running. You know, they're a brilliant team to watch. Ben O'Carroll, absolutely unmarkable. I feel like they kind of ran out of steam, though, that they actually played the game at such a pace that maybe with even 15 minutes to go, I definitely remember seeing Ben O'Carroll, like, with his hands on his knees, just completely, like, knackered. You know, just absolutely gone. And when the Glenn fight back came, they just didn't have an answer. They didn't have the legs to, to give an answer. Yeah, I think you've... You've absolutely nailed that, uh, and it, there is definitely that, that element of this game is, is inescapable. That the the only thing that was stopping Glenn from kicking on during that spell of the game was Glenn. Like they they were totally on top. They completely conquered their kickout. They were absolutely dominating the ball and just couldn't do ninety cents of work and couldn't get the ball to go over the bar. And it was you did notice that right that this is a young British team. There's a couple of pairs down with cramp during that spell, and they definitely seem to be struggling for legs. And maybe there's a couple of couple of small in-game scenario stuff that they probably needed to to try and slow it down slightly or, or control the ball. Just before that goal, they actually have a free in their own half. And there's and this, this is a classic thing. There's no need to take that free quickly. So I, I there's a bit, bit of criticism maybe of the goalkeeper's positioning. And he, I think he'd come out to try and create that extra man. So they were planning to retain the ball. But the free was, free was taken quickly. They try and go forward. Danny Hannon executes a really impressive turnover. McGuckin takes a quick free in response and that's what leads to the goal. But they definitely had, I, I thought they were running on empty at that stage. In saying that, I mean, you, you know, you go down the stretch and they're, they come back to actually do manufacture that uh, free. Ben O'Carroll has a, a shot that goes wide, it comes back for the free, they're one point back. And Roy Fannin leaps up in the air, wins that kick out. And Shane Canan, who's striking off the ground, has been fairly uh, exemplary. They've got two brilliant midfielders in Shane Canan and Eddie Nolan. I actually remember uh, during the Inter-county championship this, this year, uh, David Burke was talking to us after the Sligo game, so at the back end of their championship. And he referenced in passing that in the entire league and championship, they hadn't kicked a single free off the ground. Not a 45, not a free, because they didn't have Eddie Nolan who was injured that year and uh, Shane Canaan striking. So he puts the ball down. I think it's at the other end of the field, he puts it over, but that wind into Hill 16, you saw it. Ben just couldn't get to grips with it in the first half. Their first three shots all went wide. They were completely at sea until... I, I I thought a huge momentum split, whatever you want to call it, turning point in this game was the first goal, because at that stage, you're talking about arguably British there after 28 minutes, they're four points up and they're going in half time, uh, you know, in a great place, and then suddenly they go in that level, just a complete sucker punch at that stage in the game. Their response after half time was pretty admirable, but it it's that one free and you're away from force next time. So they definitely. You know, I, they deserve so much credit for what they did yesterday, the, the part they played and what was a, a very dramatic day. But if you were to pick a flaw, I, I agree with you. I think they were, they were running on empty as they came down the stretch. Morris, hopefully your colleagues will listen to you more closely when you talk about the 25 sporting <laughs> events to watch for 2025 this time next year. <laughs> Thanks a million. Great stuff today. Thanks, lads.
should be sent off. He's going to be yellow card. A gas bait. It's a special day today. Happy 30th anniversary to the famous I Can't Speak. <laughs> yes, it indeed. Is, Can it you is believe just it? a wonder, isn't the it? The day Castleford hammered the mighty Wigan in the Regal Trophy final happened on January 22nd. Whatever 30 years ago it was. <laughs> 1994. Do you know what score it was, Murph? What score Castleford beat Wigan by? I'll after? tell you why I know this. Yeah, It's because former uh, Sligo footballer and regular listener to the show, Neil Ewing, sent me an article from the Times of London Yes, today. this is what I was going to reference. So it's like 32-3 or something. Is it 30... 33-2. 33-2, even better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... They'd, wow. given them a, they'd also given them a t- something like 45 nil, was it? 46 nil. 46 nil. Earlier in the season. 11 games previously. Yeah. After which Wigan went on a 10-game unbeaten run. Then came up against Castleford again. It appears that Castleford were the one team that had Wigan's yeah. numbers. They're the best, best club yeah. in the world. Um, Wigan couldn't obviously take their beating on the day, hence they reduced themselves to dirty strokes, right. which left Castleford yeah. commentator Mick well, Morgan speaking. They don't like it. They, they don't like it. They don't like it. And that's, uh, that's, that's clear from the tape. Andy Hay the, is the guy who gets punched. Kelvin Skerritt, the culprit from Wigan, who only gets a yellow. But Andy Hay is quoted at the top of this deep dive that you mentioned in the Times. He lives in Bamberg as the performance director of Rugby League Deutschland now. And he still has people in Germany coming up to him asking, is that you in the Hans <laughs> Spake video? He says, you You're play- not the Andy. Yeah, is honestly, it? you play 300 odd games of top level rugby league and all people remember you for is getting hit in the face, <laughs> says the 50 year old. So. Still, what a legacy though. Ah, really is. God, nice. I would love to be associated with that video. Well, you are very I mean, I'd take Bean Campbell. Campbell. Being called a, b- a bottleless guest, <laughs> I would I would kill to be to be yeah referee Campbell. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Thanks, all you bottleless guest. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you. All right, Thanks for listening. Don't forget to have a look at signing up to the World Service during the week. If you want to hear all our podcasts, secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus VAT. Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. The second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 